Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody out there. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning, and we get to talk about electricity today. National Rural Electric Cooperatives. And in the studio this morning, we have Dan Risdinger. Good enough? Good enough. <laughs> and Gabe's note. Good. Gabe, I got your words. <laughs> okay. And they put on, well, why don't you tell us what you did, Gabe? Why don't you, what did you do last year in terms of voting? Thank you, Vernon. So last year, we came up with the concept of Co-Ops Vote, which is a nonpartisan voter engagement campaign. And we rolled it out early last year with the idea of increasing voter turnout in the areas where electric cooperatives serve. And as we rolled it out, we also identified partners within the cooperative business community that we could work with to help promote the program. And so it wasn't just the electric cooperatives. We worked with the National Cooperative Business Association and the and CFC, which is the Cooperative Finance Corporation, as our partners to help us promote this. And we also went in and talked to a lot of other cooperative organizations as we rolled this out. But our focus throughout the program was to increase voter turnout in the areas where electric cooperatives are located. So let's talk about, and Dan, maybe you can tell us, what is the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association? We are the national service organization for uh, the nation's 900 electric cooperatives operating in 47 states and serving uh, 42 million member owners. So 900 cooperatives serving how many million? 42. 42 million. And what percentage of that is the population of the U.S.? 42 million, Gabe? It's roughly, what, about 12% of the population? 12 12 or 15, something like that. Okay. And I noticed, but I'm going to ask either one of you, of the land mass for rural co-ops providing electricity, what percentage of the land mass? Our distribution system is huge and spans about 75% of the U.S. land mass, which really just is an indication of how spread out many of the member owners are whom we provide electricity to. So, Gabe, why was there a need for rural electric co-ops? So, 75 years ago, roughly, the rural, in fact, we are celebrating our 75th anniversary uh, with NRECA as an organization representing electric cooperatives. So, about 75, 80 years ago, when electric cooperatives first came together, they came in to provide a service in underrepresented or unrepresented areas where farmers and rural people didn't have access to electricity. In fact, the investor-owned utilities who were in business during that time period didn't see the business 
reason for bringing the electricity to these rural areas. So the communities came together and banded together to form cooperatives, and they worked with the local governments, the state governments, and ultimately the federal government to come up with the funding that would need to uh, be pulled together in order to bring electricity to these areas and really adopt the cooperative business model as a way to bring electricity to the areas that were at the time underserved or not served at all by the existing um, electric utilities. So, Gabe, what I'm hearing is 75 years ago, the people with the money, the investors, the people that had the capital, would not invest it in rural areas probably just because they couldn't get a return. They couldn't get a return on their investment, so they would not invest their monies in these areas where you really had to put a lot of line, a lot of poles up, a lot of lines up in order to get the electricity to the farm or to those rural areas. Is that kind of like right, what, what happened back then? Yeah, that is right. For electric co-ops, we have far fewer customers per mile of line than the investor-owned utilities we're used to serving in metropolitan areas. So it really took a different business model, the co-op business model of you know not-for-profits operating at cost to bring electricity to rural areas. So people come together and form this business as a cooperative. And early on in the show, we've been on the show now for three and a half years, but real early, matter of fact, in that first month, October three and a half years ago, one of the persons that I interviewed said that co-ops are formed to solve a community problem. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. So this community problem was we need lights, we need electricity, we need to be able to read at night, to be open instead of candle lights or gas or whatever they had back then. Uh, a little bit before my time, but <laughs> okay. So you get people to come together to form a business to solve that particular problem. But that must have been very... I don't know, difficult to do back then, to be able to come together and form a business, to put up those poles, to put up those lines, to provide electricity. It was a a big undertaking, and it's one that, um, you know, frankly, it's not kind of a once-and-done type of thing. We string the poles and lines, but uh, have to put a lot of energy and resources into maintaining the rural electric grid and expanding it as needed. Wow. That is awesome. That's one of the reasons I like co-ops, though. So 42 million people, 75% of the land mass and the U.S. land mass are provided by rural electricity. Do, do those 80, 42 million know that they're, they're getting their electricity through a co-op and that they can vote on the board of directors and they have a say in how it operates and the say in the policies? So, Vernon, that's one of the areas that we continue to promote the cooperative business model, and it's a... It's, it's a continuing process, and so many areas where our co-ops are located, the people who were first there 75, 80 years ago are no longer around. And yep. so they're not, they're not there to really tell the story of the electric cooperatives. And so our member cooperatives out there have the opportunity to continue to educate their members on the cooperative business model. And we are well positioned as cooperatives to be ambassadors to the cooperative business model because of the the reach that we have with the 42 million out there. The fact that the co-ops represent 80% of the counties 
within the United States. So, wait a minute, eighty percent of the counties? That's that's correct, Vernon. Eighty percent wow. of the counties um, in the in the United States. That's roughly about two thousand five hundred counties where there's an electric cooperative has some sort of service into that county. They might not cover the entire county, but they their service territory reaches into that county. So 42 million people are served by rural electric co-ops, and you said there are 900 co-ops, so there's 900 businesses that serve these 42 million people, 75% of the land mass, and 80% of the counties in the U.S. That's awesome. Why do people don't know about it? What can we do? Well, that's one of the reasons the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program, so that more and more people will know about the impact that cooperatives has on the U.S. economy and to provide, like, services that people need. And we take electricity for granted now, but a lot of countries still don't have it. And I understand you all from previous people from the National Rural Electric Co-op that's been on the show have talked about what you're doing internationally and what happens in a tribe in a in a community rural community when that electric switch turned on and how proud they are and how much excitement there is we don't see that as much anymore because we take electricity for granted which 75 years ago wasn't for granted and i'm turning 70 this year so it wasn't too long ago (laughs) it wasn't too long ago so there's seven cooperative principles. We basically talked about two, and that's cooperation among co-ops. You went out and you started this. You say you want to get more and more people to vote, more people to come out to vote. And then you start working with other cooperatives to get that message across. And then you touched on the fifth one, which was the main reason that I like co-ops when I first learned about them was education, training, uh, and information. So training the politicians about cooperatives, training your customers about cooperatives is a huge undertaking and consistently doing so that people will know how they work, what's the advantages of them, the benefits of them, and how much impact it has on the people of, of America. That's correct, Vernon. And one of the things that we do at the state level and at the federal level is a cooperative 101 program for elected officials. And so we identify elected officials who are newly elected a lot of times to make sure that someone is reaching out to them and meeting with them. And so whether it's one of our leaders from the cooperative in the community that they represent or someone from NRECA that that meets with them, we try to make sure that we are touching base and starting that education process early on when we're working with elected officials. So they start to build an understanding of what a cooperative is, what the business model is, and specifically for us, the difference between an electric cooperative and the other types of electric utilities um, that serve um, people electricity across the country. And that's really one of the uh, the hallmarks that were the cornerstones of the co-ops vote program which is stressing to not only our our member co-ops, but their member owners, the importance of being politically engaged, not just in the year of a major presidential election, but every year, because every type of election is important. Every type of official that has an impact on your community is important. So engagement really is is a key message. What's the mission of NRECA, Dan? Well, we are the national service organization for America's electric cooperatives. We provide 
in insurance and financial services to co-ops, but we also represent their interests in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, and within the federal government. Well, we have to take our first break, gentlemen. We'll be right back. But I heard you say earlier the it's to provide safe, affordable, and reliable electricity. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's- and we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks on this beautiful Thursday morning. We're talking about electricity, which too often Americans take for granted. But the National Rural Electric Cooperative for the last 75 years have been helping to provide electricity for 42 million people now, 75% of the land mass in the United States and 80% of the counties. And they started a program in December of 2015, which they they took off in February of 2015. 16 called co-op vote so why did you all do this vernon when we started looking at this in the winter of 2015 we identified a trend and that trend was that there was a drop-off in turnout in rural america and that drop-off between 2008 and 2012 was at 18 percent for the rural counties out there And we wanted to reverse that trend. We wanted to make sure since most of our electric cooperatives are located in rural counties out there, we wanted to uh, make sure that the areas where the electric cooperatives are served are having their voice heard in the elections. And so that was really the driving factor for developing the co-ops vote effort. And from there we started to put together the concept of what a national voter engagement campaign would look like and came up with the Co-Ops Vote brand and really started to develop the branding ideas behind it and getting it out there to our membership and putting out the collateral that they would need, a logo, the website, um, some of the key pieces that they would need in order to um, start the program and then really worked with uh, within our 900 electric cooperatives network to promote the program in the areas where they serve. So in these 80 counties, you had seen a drop-off, did you say 17% drop-off? Between 18%. 18% drop-off between 2012 and 2016? I'm sorry, it's 2008 to 2012. Oh, 2000. And then we wanted to reverse that trend with the, with the turnout in 2016. Okay. So there's a drop in people coming out. I can see people out in the rural world said, my vote don't count. Why bother? Which happens a lot of times in urban areas, too, particularly with, well, I've had somebody on from rural development, and they were talking about how much poverty there is in rural America. And, like, rural America and urban America, where there's poverty, people have little hope. And so I can see people saying, my vote don't count. So... 2008 to 2012, there's a drop, and you wanted to turn it around. So let's talk about 
No, let me just ask the question. Were you able to turn it around? Uh, what does that say? Yes. The answer is yes. And what we saw in turnout in 2016 was an increase in 500,000 additional voters who came to the polls in areas where electric cooperatives are located. So in those counties where electric cooperatives are located, we saw an increase of an additional 500,000 voters come to the polls. So that's something that we are pretty proud of. Uh, We certainly thank all of our electric cooperatives who participated in the um, co-ops vote effort that really did the hard work to promote the campaign. There's certainly not a one-to-one ratio there, but um, we feel we feel like we were part of that solution to help increase turnout in those areas. So the one-to-one you're talking about is it wasn't necessarily everything that you all did to bring them out. That's correct. That's correct. But we were um, we we certainly were part of that. Okay. I'm one of those. I like to take all the credit. So I would I would just say, yeah, we did it. <laughs> we did. So what were some of the things that you all did? With your 80% of the counties in the U.S., 900 different companies, cooperatives, what were you able to do? So one of the key programs that we rolled out as part of the co-ops vote effort was our five-star cooperative program. And what that entailed was we had a list of about a dozen activities that we thought co-ops could engage in on voter participation efforts and voter education efforts, anything from hosting a voter registration drive at their co-op or their community to doing an insert in their bill. So when the co-op consumer received their electric bill, they'd have information about the co-op's vote campaign um, right there in the bill to hosting candidate meet and greets at the cooperatives to putting up a display at the cooperative in the headquarters or in in the regional offices. So when people came in to pay their bill, they would uh, see the information out there. So we had a a list of about a dozen uh, activities that cooperatives could engage in. And if they reported back to us that they accomplished five or more of those activities, we would designate them as a five-star co-op. And we had 115 of our cooperatives reached that five-star co-op level. And that's something that uh, we think was a major accomplishment out there. Now, we know that over 700 of our cooperatives participated at some level. So maybe did one or more activities, but we had 115 of them who did five or more activities uh, at their cooperative to help promote the elections in 2016. We were really impressed by the level of engagement of our cooperative members. As we've said, the program launched formally in February of 2016, but by the time the presidential elections rolled around, we had that many co-ops, more than 700, engaged in the program, and we'd like to keep up that engagement going forward. So you mentioned that they would put something in their bills that would talk about the election. I know the answer to this, but I want to ask it. Did they say who to vote for? Absolutely not. And that was the one of the keys of this effort is to keep it nonpartisan. And we at no point ever engaged in the back and forth of, of the campaigns. We wanted to keep this at the level of promoting voter turnout and engagement in the upcoming election. And uh, we didn't care 
who they were voting for. We just wanted to make sure that their voice was heard on Election Day. So the voter registration drive was one of the things that you all did at each of the businesses that you would do things to get people out. But how did your web page – well, I went on it, and I signed up, I don't know, six months, eight months ago or so, and I could look to see if I was registered to vote. And if I wasn't registered to vote, then I could register or go as far as you all would let me go. How did that work? So, yeah, so we have a website, and that is vote.coop. And the website was designed to be our online portal, our one-stop shop for anyone coming to the website to get information about the upcoming election. And so once you um, kind of gave us a little bit of information about yourself, we were able to identify who the candidates were in your area. So we would have information at the state and federal level about the candidates uh, that you would be selecting or voting on in the upcoming election. We also had information, as you mentioned, about voter registration. And so if someone needed to check the registration or to get information about how to register, we had that information readily available for those folks coming to the website. And every state does voter registration unique to that state. And so we would get them as far as we could to the information that the state would make available. Then they could take that next step and go ahead and register to vote or get the uh, information about how to register to vote in their area. Could you tell if you got an increase in registrations on your webpage? Well, what we could tell on the webpage is some of the, you know, the stats of people coming to the site. So we had thousands of people come to the site and pledge to participate and vote in the elections in 2016. Uh, and, and of course, we had you know, many visitors to the websites and our analytics, and will, will tell us that we had thirty over thirty thousand visitors come to the page over a six month period. Okay, we've got to take our second break. Half the time is already up. It goes by real quick when you're having fun. I want to thank you guys. We're talking about voting and the cooperatives and the model and why this model works so well. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. We're talking about electricity today. We have two gentlemen in our studio, Dan Ridinger and Gabe Snow. All right. NCB is sponsoring this program, and NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. And as we mentioned earlier, rural Communities have a lot of poverty in them, but NCB does this by providing innovative financial and related services, and they are sponsoring this program so we can give you the benefits of co-ops, and it is perhaps the best-kept secret in America. 
And often you have cooperatives around the world which are much more active than here in the U.S. But let's get back to the subject at hand, and that is getting voters to come out and vote for whomever they like because one of the principles of co-ops is it's democratic, that one member, one vote. So it's very much in the DNA and the soul of a cooperative is to get out and vote. So you said that you had 500,000 more people come out to vote in those counties that you are working in. What other benefits did you find with this vote co-op? Sure. So the benefits of participating in a voter education campaign and running a voter participation campaign at the national level is you know, certainly we had that mission, as we talked about, to reverse the trend in the drop-off of voter turnout. But there's also an increasing the awareness of our member cooperatives in the communities that they serve, and that's increasing that awareness and visibility with their members, um, the folks they serve electricity to, but also with the leaders in the communities. So you've got the uh, the city councils, the county commissioners who are starting to pay attention to the cooperative, uh, the state elected officials who um, kind of see the that the cooperative is engaging in this type of voter participation campaign, they're, they're going to pay closer attention to uh, what that cooperative and the cooperatives in that state are doing because of now they see that they're active and engaged with the communities and ultimately with the constituents. And then at the federal level, it's the same idea um, because of we not only promoting this at the local level, but we did a lot of work um, last year to let the U.S. Congress members know that we were doing this program. And in fact, we had a day last year in July where we gave out an information packet to every member of Congress's office about the co-op vote campaign and so that they would be aware of the effort. And part of it was some of that co-op 101 that we talked about earlier. And then part of it was the awareness of the fact that the electric cooperatives were collectively coming together and trying to increase turnout in the election. So we, we see the benefits kind of coming from many different directions and, um, and really kind of unlimited benefits to continue to do these types of programs. So you've got 42 million people that are the customers of 900 businesses, which are cooperative in nature. So when people get out to vote, then they end up voting for the people that will represent them and what's important to them. What are some of the issues that rural electric cooperatives would like to see fostered and pushed forward? Well, certainly, you know, everyone who goes to the poll to vote is going to have some issues that are of particular importance to him or her. And we were, you know, obviously not trying to sway votes one way or another. We just wanted people at the polls. But at the national level, there certainly are some issues that were talked about during the presidential campaign that continue to be talked about now in which co-ops really have a stake. One of those issues is the need to improve the nation's infrastructure. This was discussed quite a bit during the campaign. We're still waiting to see what type of infrastructure package uh, the president or Congress might put together. But our, our message to policymakers is that 
when you're talking about infrastructure, you really need to go beyond just discussions about repairing roads and bridges. You need to talk about rural infrastructure needs, and that includes maintaining and improving the rural electricity grid. So everybody talks about infrastructure. Obama talked about it. Everybody on a campaign talked about infrastructure as a way of creating jobs and bettering infrastructure that's been around four to 75 years, and you got rust and corrosion and bridges and in uh, roads and in tunnels and in dams. But, you know, I never heard anybody talk about the electric grid. I hear them talk about it a little bit when they talk about California and the electric grid and, and how overloaded it is. But in terms of rural, no, I've never even heard that conversation. Well, that's true. I mean, in, in the, the electric grid requires constant upkeep, maintenance, and upgrades to not only maintain the existing level of service that uh, co-op member consumers depend on, but to provide new services as energy needs begin to change. Okay. I do property management here in the district and greater Washington area. And when you get a building, I don't know, 30 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, the electric needs today are so much more than they were back then. And so getting a heavy up is one of the things that's uh, in the capital with the computers and washers and dryers and dishwashers and, oh, just um, so many different things that take electricity today that what ends up happening is that the fuses go off. And we have to go in and heavy up. And then in this area, it's Pepco. Have to make sure they can get the electricity that's needed. So I'm glad we're talking about this because I've never even thought about the electric grid except for California, but the rural electric grid and having a heavy head up all of that for the increased needs of people, both population growth and the need for more electricity. Sure. All right. There's a book that I read called uh, Cities Building Wealth. And in that, they talked about 20 cities, and Madison, Wisconsin was one of them, and New York City was another one, and how in those particular cities, the in Madison, Wisconsin, the city council and the mayor had put up a million dollars a year for five years to create co-ops. And in New York, they had put up $2.5 million last year and $2.6 million this year to create co-ops. And I, what I got out of that was how important the local elections are for a particular city or county or community. And that, that we spend so much time talking about the federal, the, the, the presidential election, and then you see the fall off like 18, what is it going to be like? What are you all going to be doing to get people out for 2018 and maybe not to have the normal fall off between 16 and 18 or between 12 and 14, but how to get people out to really understand how important these local elections are? Well, that's a excellent question, Vernon. And first I want to start by saying that in 2017, there's going to be thousands of local elections oh. uh, across the country. And so we're partnering with our existing network of electric cooperatives to make sure that they're engaging um, in co-ops vote efforts and voter engagement efforts at the local level even this year because of even though uh, we view it as an off year here inside the Beltway, many of our communities out there are going to have school board elections, they're going to have city council elections, county-wide elections that are going to impact the communities where they serve. So we're partnering with our 
network of electric cooperatives to make sure that uh, we don't lose that momentum that we built in 2016 um, into 2017. Let me ask you a question. Can you go online? I know for the presidential election and for the Senate and the House elections, you could go online and see what community you're in and who's running for those. Are you going to be able to do that for 20 Because there's a lot of people, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're not able to track the local elections like we are the federal elections uh, on, on the website. So for 2017, it, we're really encouraging our local folks to, to do that because of each county, each municipal area is going to have their own deadlines that are going to be different. It's the great thing about a federal election or a statewide election is that those, uh, those elections are um, a lot of times um, unified in the registration dates and the dates of the primaries, and so that makes the job of tracking and providing that information a little easier on, on our end. But for the local elections, we're really relying on the information at the local level um, to help promote that. But uh, getting to 2018 and the midterm elections will certainly be back up and running with the with the information uh, when um, on the on the website about the candidates and the races and all the voter deadlines that um, that come along with that. It was real neat to go on your web page and click on who's running for president and see what their platform is and then go to the state level. Like I said, I'm from West Virginia. I don't vote there. I vote in the D.C., but I was able to go to West Virginia and see who was running for the House and what they are the Senate and what their uh, platforms were. That was fant- I, that was really great. Also, I was able to go get their addresses of who's already there. Like, I can do that now. I did that last night. Who's already in the House and who's the Congress? How, how does that work? So that's right. And so on the website today, uh, we, you can connect with your sitting elected officials at the state level and at the national level. So we use the same service that we use during the during the election cycle to also connect with the current elected officials. And part of the co-ops vote continuing education program is encouraging folks not um, not just to vote, but to get to know their members of Congress, to get to know their state delegates and state representatives and to have more information about them. And so you can get that information at vote.coop today. If you go on there, put in your address, it'll identify who your who your state representatives are, who your members of Congress are, uh, both House of Representatives and U.S. Senate. And then you can um, you you can click in to learn more about them, what committees they serve on and that type of information. So um, we encourage our folks to continue to educate themselves and be aware of who the elected officials are, as well as paying attention to the local elections back home. You know, I I guess I was really dumb about the local, like, like the council people in the district, um, in that when you have a problem, you have an abandoned car, somebody put some, not cutting their grass, uh, you can go to your elected officials to get information, and they're there to help. And I didn't do that until recently. And it was amazing how I could get things done with their help, which I've been trying and trying and trying to get. Yeah, that's absolutely one of the keystones of an elected official and one of the the constituent services. And people get caught up in the 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 major legislation and the back and forth, the uh, partisan back and forth that we have. But 
what an elected official at their core uh, is there to do is to serve the constituents. And so that constituent service is something that we try to make sure that our members are aware of. And so they know that they can work with their elected officials to help find solutions to their, their challenges. And we at our final break. We have another 12 minutes after this to talk. Anybody out there, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876 if you have a question or comment. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O. at 95.9 FM. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. We're talking about the benefits of cooperative. We have the National Rural Electric Cooperative. Two gentlemen in the studio this morning talking about cooperatives and providing electricity. Um, Information is power. No, information has power. But you've got to use the information in order to get the power out of it. So we're giving you information about cooperatives. So let me quickly tell you the different types of co-ops. If a co-op is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the consumers that use it as a product or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And National Rural Electric is one that the consumers the people that uses the electricity own the cooperatives. There's 900 of them. Now, most of the, the consumers don't know, like in credit unions, they don't know they're in a cooperative. They may get these little forms that say, please vote for the, the um, board of directors, but they don't know often that they could run on the board and they can vote for the board, and the board is the one that has sets the policies and procedures and pricing and all of that up. So that's very important. They have a say. So those are the two main types of co-ops, consumer and worker co-ops, and food co-ops could be either of the two. Sometimes the food co-op is owned by the people that buy in the food co-op, and sometimes they're the employees. And I've heard of a couple of them that are hybrids. They're owned by both the consumers and the employees. And then for farmers, they have an artist. They'll have a purchasing co-op, and sometimes there's one here in the district called CPA, uh, Consumer or Community Purchasing Alliance, and they band together to buy products and services. We buy a larger volume of them. You can normally get a better price and better products. And then on the other end is a marketing cooperative, and farmers do that. Lando Lakes is a fo- marketing cooperative, Cabot Creamery, and that the farmers would bring their products to this cooperative, and they have experts that learn the markets and get contracts and deliver their foods. So these are co-ops. If they come together to solve problems, and there's principles, and we will not go through all of those today. We're going to get back and talk more about electricity, which is exciting, That what the rural electric folks have been able to do. So now we're talking about co-op voting to get more. Co- yeah, and so, Vernon, let me just jump in here and say, you know, Folks want more information about co-ops vote. Of course, you can visit our website at vote.coop, but you can also get in touch with me, and that's Gabe Snow. And my phone number at our office in Arlington, Virginia, is 703-907-5877. So that's, again, 703-907-5877. And my email address is Gabe, G-A-B-E, dot snow s-n-o-w at 
N-R-E-C-A dot co-op, and that's C-O-O-P. So if, if you would like to get more information about co-ops vote or if you'd like to get in touch with us and um, learn more about the, the program, then certainly reach out to us, email, phone. We'd be happy to take your, um, take your call and get your information. Thank you, Gabe. And Ron, you have a question or comment? Yes, I have a question, Mr. Oates. I uh, run a purchasing cooperative, but we work in the renewable energy sector. And my question is, what has co-ops done to increase market share for African-American installation companies and contractors in the energy industry, there was a study put out by the American Association of Blacks in Energy that indicated in 2009, which is a very dated study, stating that African Americans spent $41 billion for energy in this country. And we had 1.1% of the jobs, and we had 0.1% of the wealth generated from uh, the energy industry. So what are cooperatives able to do to improve that? And I'll hang up and listen. Thank you for your question, Ron. Just from the looks in the room, I don't think we have any data on that. Uh, is that right, Gabe and Dan? We don't have any data, but we certainly appreciate the uh, the question and the information that the listeners provided. What I, what I would suggest to you, Ron, is in a co-op, and this is one of the things that I, I find that most people don't know that they even belong to a co-op, if the African Americans in Southern Maryland or Northern Virginia would come together and go to the annual meetings, then they can have a say. Now, the the second principle, second or third one, is economic participation. That's normally something you have to pay. You pay every month, and then if there are surpluses, <clears throat> if there are surpluses, then the members have a right to say what happens to those surpluses. Like you said, that's point one percent of the wealth generated. They can keep it in the business, and for what Dan had talked about earlier, to make sure that the business has the money to provide more and more electricity and keep the grid up, or they can do community projects, which some of these co-ops do. They'll go out and find out what's needed in the community, and they help the community, or they could help other co-ops, or they could give back dividends. So that's what a co-op can do. And so what I'm encouraging, that's all people, uh, particularly people that don't have very much, get involved in the co-op because you have a say, you have a voice. And that's whether it's African-Americans, Native Americans, or poor Caucasians, particularly I'm from West Virginia. And we lived on a mountaintop. We didn't know discrimination on that mountaintop. We were all poor. Black, white, no making any difference. That was the two main. That was one African. But black or white, no, she was Haitian. But for the most part, we were just black and white, and we played together. We did everything. It wasn't until we went to school that we understood anything about discrimination. But poverty does not make any difference. When you poll, you poll. And so I really encourage people to get involved, get educated, get involved. You can, you can get involved and get educated because of the involvement, and then you have a say of what happens to the money in the co-op. You have no say of what happens at Pepco. Nada. But in the co-ops, you do have a say. So thank you for the information. I wrote it down. I really, Ron, I'd appreciate it if you call back and tell me the name of that research. I hear it was 09, or I'll try to find it out, too. I'd like to know about it. Uh, any other comments on that? Thanks. Thanks, gentlemen. 
So we talked about some of the things that you all would like to do in terms of there was something called Water of the U.S., uh, broadband. There's some different kinds of legislation you would like to folks to know about and to help the folks in, in rural. Sure. We know from engagement with our member cooperatives that there are things that we can do as an organization at the national level to advance some of their local and community interests. Infrastructure is one thing we talked about as being important. Any conversation about infrastructure, we feel, also needs to include discussions about rural broadband. Right now, there really is is a divide between uh, urban and rural areas in terms of access to high-speed Internet service. And co-ops, at least 50, um, have been engaged in providing or trying to provide broadband service to their members, and more and more co-ops are looking to do the same thing. Also, the particular co-op would provide it, not necessarily, I don't want to mention any names, but none, none of the normal, I'm talking about AT&T, Comcast, RCN, they wouldn't provide it, that the local cooperative would provide it, the, the uh, broadband. That's right. We want cooperatives to be among the entities that are allowed to provide broadband service. We did it very well with electricity, delivering low-cost, reasonably priced electricity to consumer members, and we'd like to do the same thing with broadband. Okay, I see the benefits of electricity. And because growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia, we were considered wealthy in that we had indoor electricity and indoor plumbing, but a lot of people did not. And so in the wintertime, pretty much... There was no homework done after 6 o'clock or 5.30 because it got dark. Or Abe Lincoln was with a candle. So what does broadband do? How does it help the family? Well, it's, it's really essential for families and businesses. It becomes a, a quality of life issue, being able to quickly access information, just like those of us who have high-speed Internet access are able to do. It's important for local businesses to be able to be competitive, to have access to high-speed Internet, and it helps attract individuals, uh, including youth, to rural areas. Um, they want that high-speed Internet just like everybody else. I laugh as you were talking because right now I don't know what I would do if I couldn't Google it, whether it's on my phone or or the, the laptop. We're all used to doing that, and we, we take it for granted that's just right, like we right. take electricity for granted, but yeah. not everyone gets to do it. Yeah. Okay, listen, we only have another minute or so. Question, do you like what you're doing? I'm absolutely passionate about it, Vernon. And you know what we are able to do with the electric cooperatives and working with our member systems and the cooperative business model and really just everything that encompasses the mission of NRECA and providing that affordable and reliable power to, to our member owners. I'm absolutely passionate about that. I have to agree. It's extraordinarily engaging. The co-op business model is great. It's been tremendously successful, and it's very nice to be a part of an organization that is built around that model. So you're just helping people, everyday people, all day long, having a better quality of life. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And everybody out there, please, 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 we'll see you next Thursday. Have a cooperative life. Thank you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, and 95.9 FM.